Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Torah section, Ha'azinu, which means listen, covering Deuteronomy chapter 32. And just a few highlights before we go on to our next section here. Some of what we can learn from this particular passage is that being Torah observant is not a holier-than-thou pursuit of perfection because the, we see a lot of the foibles of the people of God and part of the foibles of the people of God is to learn why the those foibles head you in a wrong direction, why these corrections come, why when you head down a bad path, you end up in a place that you don't want to be. And then learn from those things and then move on. Yes. That's where um, or one of the applications where people complain, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's right there. Yes. That, that's, that's where it's at. That's the reason. If you're good, okay, then you will, re- you will accept the correction. Okay, now how do I re-guide my path and yes. fine-tune it better? As opposed to, what about the, you know, the Hitlers of the world? Yeah, they got their own problems. Let God deal with them. Deal with your own. Well, one of the, an off-quoted uh, passage from someone who was under the thumb of the Nazi regime in uh, one of the Eastern European countries. And that person ended up becoming someone who was listed among the righteous of the nations because they took in Jews, they hid Jews, they moved them from place to place. And the person was asked many decades later, is like, well, why did you do that? What made you go down this path? And the person said, you know, paraphrasing it, um, well, we just didn't go off the edge like everybody else did. That was the only thing. They went up to the edge, they saw where the edge was, and they didn't go over it with everybody else and all of society. And that was enough. Yes, uh, Larry, what was it? Her last name was Ten Bloom. I can't remember her first name. Corey. Ah, yes. Well, this is uh, someone in more recent uh, history than that, but it's, it's, it's the same idea. It's people who see that things are going in a bad direction and decide to not go that direction to just say, hey, this is heading us into a bad place. You know, for example, we see what's happening right now with this pandemic, what it's doing in other countries. Not only is it creating a divide, but it is also creating people who are turning in their neighbors, they're turning in their family. You see in Australia, where it goes to unbelievable lengths, lengths that we have not seen actually, in Western countries since the times of the ghettos. We have not seen anything like that. And we can see how quickly people can switch from being nice, good, quote, civilized, unquote, people into being people who will turn other people in, chase other people down, drag them into prison, do horrifically bad things. 
for the sake of the greater good, unquote. Well, one of those things that you see that the path between, quote, civilized and barbaric can be very, very thin. Now, you must remember that Germany, right before World War II, was one of the most educated, one of the most sophisticated. When you talk about schools of learning in this and that, whether it's economics, philosophy, um, they had a lot of brain power going on there. And when you see some of the writings that came out from that time, you can see all kinds of incredibly educated justifications for the most barbaric things you have ever seen in your life. So truly, when you see that one of the kings said to the Apostle Paul, says, your great learning has driven you mad, you know, that could be said of a lot of people. To be sure that your great learning doesn't drive you into absolute insanity in thinking that, oh, well, I just know more than other people, and I'm going to send people down the right path that I think is going to end up in the right place. Well, do you actually know where the road you're on is actually going? Which is the whole point of what Moshe is pointing out to the people. Do you actually know where the road you're going is? And if it seems to be getting difficult and things seem to be challenging in life, maybe ask. It's something we'll take a little bit of a look at as we move on into our Haftarah reading. But the Apostle Yaakov, uh, the New Testament book called James, goes over that very specifically in chapter 1. We'll take another look at that again because it's a good reminder. Because one of the things that he points out is when you start getting correction, you need wisdom to know why it's happening. Because that wisdom is necessary to learn lessons. And it's no accident that, what does it say in Proverbs? What is the beginning of wisdom? What is the beginning of knowledge? Fear of the Lord. And when you actually, (laughs) people have riffed on that over um, hundreds, thousands of years, because Yirah in Hebrew is very close to being uh, the verb to see. So you could also think of it fear and seeing. So, the seeing of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Basically, God sees you. So, do you believe that God sees you? That is a beginning of knowledge and a beginning of wisdom. Because a lot of people go through life saying, God doesn't see what I'm doing. And we see there, it recorded in Among the Prophets that people thought that God didn't see what they're doing. So, they just could go on and do whatever they wanted. And uh, we can see that this, rather than just being a holier-than-thou pursuit following the Torah of the Lord, rather, this is about listening. That's because we, we saw as we were going through the first few chapters of Devarim or Deuteronomy, where it says, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Yes. So that is one of the things that you have to start your path down is actually listening to what the words say. And then, like we were going through our last time, talking about both the Shabbat Shavah or the Sabbath of returning, then Yom Kippur, 
This is all about know the situation where you're in. See that you actually need to turn around. We talked about that the two key steps of repentance is to turn away from evil and turn toward good. Because as we were talking about, it's not enough just to turn away from evil. We were talking in passing about Yeshua's parable of the man who had the demon in his house and he threw it out. And then the demon one got seven demons and came in and the situation at the end was worse than when he started. So you must turn away from evil, turn toward good. So, a couple of things to note, and we've, we've mentioned this in times past, so just a little bit of a note about some of the structures that people have seen over a long period of time here in this chapter, chapter 32, is that this has hallmarks of a legal document that you would find in a lot of the Middle Eastern cultures of the time period. Now, you'll have the equivocators, that's their big 50-cent word for the day, Equivocation is that thing of where you try to say, oh, two things sound alike, so they are alike. Well, no, just because things may be in the same period of time doesn't necessarily mean that they come from the same place. They, you know, if you are in the realm of statistics or in the realm of science, one of the key things to always remember is that correlation does not necessarily prove causation right so just because that there are things that line up at the same periods of time and look alike doesn't mean that one causes the other or they're related causally to that so another thing to uh, keep in mind is that people have seen over time that there is a chiasmus in this particular chapter a chiasmus if you remember is like the the greek letter chi or x and the idea there is that a lot of ancient writings in Hebrew, and a lot, even both in the, the Hebrew Bible and also in the Apostolic writings, contain these uh, chiasmus structures. And chiasmus just means that you have these groupings together. So you probably have read the Bible before, and it's like, you know, I just have read something that sounds just like what that it was just a little bit earlier in the same passage. Well, it could be that there is a chiasmus there, meaning that it's a structure that you pair two things together. So like with the X, you've got the, the top parts and the bottom parts. You think of kind of like an hourglass or something like that. So you've got the beginning parts pair with another part in there. And there's different ways that the, yes, and not a chasm. Not a chasm, it's a chiasmus. Yeah, so, although you can fall into a, a chasm, chasm of um, confusion, you might say, if you are not quite paying attention to what they're, what they're pointing out. So, it's one of these things that you can read these particular passages and get a lot out of it without seeing that there is a chiasm in it. But, just note that there could be one in there. And the point of the chiasm it's just like with the letter X, you see that there is a point where the two bars will cross. And the idea being there is that the structure of the way it's laid out will point you to one specific 
point or points within this particular passage. So in this particular passage, um, one way that this chiasm can be put together is that you have the words of this song, a beginning and end of the passage. You've got a faithful God without deceit. And then you've got, you forgot the God who gave you birth. So you've got this communications of these big chunks, big important points being that this is a faithful God who's not going to lie to you, yet you forgot this God, or you could say you chose to forget this God. Or as we've talked about earlier on in our passage through Deuteronomy, that if you do not pass the legacy of God from one generation to the next, you can cause your next generation to forget, basically be ignorant of who God is. That's one way to cause forgetting from one generation to the next. And one way that you can see this passage there in in Deuteronomy 32 verses 19 through 26 is described the wrath of God. So what is the consequence for having these words available to the people for seeing that the Lord is the one who's faithful, who's not lying to you, and then you choose to forget who brought you out from the land of bondage and is heading you to the land of freedom. If you choose to forget this, then what comes? The wrath of God. And like we had talked about a few sessions before, well, why is the Lord so forceful upon Israel? Why does the Lord care so much that Israel follows what he's saying and transmits what he's saying from one generation to the next? Doesn't want anyone to be lost? Okay. I said before you this day life and death, I right. would that you would choose life so that you and your seed might live. Right. So he wants us to live. He does not want to, ha- uh, to see us die. Okay. So that's great for you. What about the rest of the world? What would happen if the world loses Rose, so to speak? And Rose with the connection to God, the living, trying to live out the ways of God in the world, what would happen to the world? If Rose was how the world would find out who God is, what would be lost? Well, the information that I have. The connection to God. Yeah. You know, so you, you would say that one of the key things of Israel, both from the calling outs of Abram from Mesopotamia, says, hey, come out. And then he starts building, 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 building this, this promise that he was going to be the beginning part of a great nation and a great people. Okay, what was the whole point of that? To carve, have a special carve out on the planet? To be like the diner's club of the earth? Where you get into the, the, to the club and you get the special glass and the special chair? Yes. To be the light to the world. To be the light to the world. That's why Yeshua is saying, you are the light of the world. And he says, I am the light of the world. Well, the whole point of light is what? So you can see the truth. Right. He says, 
this uh, in John chapter one, talking about the light shining out in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. So the point of light is to light up the darkness. The point of Israel is to light up the darkness on the planet. Well, which really is, is nothing. There really is no darkness. It's just the absence of light. Correct. So it's one of those things where then you get the picture of, well, who is going to preach to them unless someone preaches to them? How are they going to hear unless someone tells them? So thus you can see what the importance of Israel in keeping Israel close to the words of God are because how else is the world going to know? Yes. That was exactly the words that God told Abraham. I'm selecting you because you will teach your children. Yes. Unlike some other man I could have selected who wouldn't, or somebody else that I could have, they wouldn't, but yes. you will teach your children. It's in your nature to be like you. You will teach them. You will transmit the information. You will transmit who I am, my, my identity. Therefore, I'm selecting you. That's a big deal. And he That's a, a huge God. That deal. Was, that was a huge thing. So now you can see why you see at the end part of Deuteronomy, why it's so important to say, this is the legacy that you've been given, Israel. This is your role in the world. And if you don't want to go down this road, why the correction must come. And also why the redemption must happen. To not only say, hey, this is very important to stay on this road, to keep going in this particular way, but then also to bring back those who get it and also because of the the promise that this would be continued on through Abraham that his line would continue because we just read it here in this passage what would happen if God promised through Abraham then finally to Israel pulling them out out of Mitzrayim out of Egypt to the house of bondage and then let them to go off to dissipate in the desert, wander around, kind of go off, end off in Midian, and then dissipating off and marrying off with the Midian women, and then finally coming to nothing. Yes. Why bring them out of, out of Egypt? Why? Just leave Why them in Egypt them and let them be Egyptians. Yes. Yes, Larry. A scripture I'm thinking of is where he says, if you forget me, I will forget your children. Uh-huh. And I'm always thinking that that, that was essentially the effect of you forgetting him, you wouldn't tell your children, and essentially they would forget him, or they would never know him. So yes. is that, I got that a little bit wrong, I, I think. No, actually, it's a very interesting thing you get at, and it's a big topic we're going to hit on today in the Haftarah, because it seems like pettiness from the creator of heaven and earth, but rather than pettiness, it is actually essential to understanding what the Lord is actually trying to do. So that's why it's very key. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of a, a key aspect of what we're going to get at because uh, <laughs> it uses a, a form of Hebrew that's a little bit confusing to understand on how it's actually used. So the, tr- the translators have uh, done some heroic jobs in, in translating the, uh, the 2 Samuel chapter 22 in this particular passage. Because 
when you when you think about what it's actually communicating you're like what how could that possibly be the case because it's like because it sounds on the on the face if you forget me i forget you that sounds petty unless you see what's actually going on there so that's what we're going to be getting at here so i'm glad glad you really brought that up that's a that's a good one so before we we leave this particular passage and go on to the Hofstraw, one of the key things to hit at is just like we were uh, singing earlier today, that we see this particular passage called the Song of Moses mentioned in Revelation chapter fifteen, and a very key thing for us to go over. So this is Revelation chapter fifteen, verses uh, one through four. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of gold, and they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God. And the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty, who will not, um, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all of the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. There being a quotation from the last part there, Psalm 86 verse 9. So, in this, taking a look at some of these aspects here. So, rather than these two things being at tension, and we, we see that some people get the idea with the, was it, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came from, that's right, Jesus Christ. Except that in Greek, Rather than a but, it should be just a semicolon. It's just, the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Yeshua the Messiah. And one of the things we've been seeing through the book of Deuteronomy is that grace, otherwise known as favor, favor of the Lord, is something that undergirds the entire book. The entire book is about favor. In fact, what we just read in Deuteronomy chapter 32 is about favor because when we're talking about the wrath of God, why would there any, be anything other than the wrath of God or the restoration from the wrath of God? Why would there be something from that? That is the favor of God and also the faithfulness of God to the promises made to Avram, then called Abraham, and to his seed down from that, and made sure through the coming of the Mashiach, coming through the Messiah. So rather than being intention, we can see that really they are motifs or patterns that are talking about the same kind of, of composition. So great and marvelous are your works that we saw in this particular passage. We see those great in marvelous works and the establishing and redeeming of Israel and the nations through her. Remember one of the prophecies there in Ezekiel about the two sticks, you know, and those that join to them, joins ones that join 
to one stick, one that joined to the other stick, and then being brought together. So they, Israel is meant to be just like uh, King Solomon prayed there in 1 Samuel chapter 8, that this will be a house of prayer for all nations. And why Yeshua got so mad when the temple was to be a house of prayer of all nations, and he says, you've turned it into a den of robbers. So the passages that he was quoting from are talking about that this is the temple of God is supposed to be a magnet for the nations. Now, (laughs) kind of the interesting uh, metaphor of magnets. Magnets can be a attractant or they can be a what? Repellent. Yes. So that's one of the key things is we don't want to be a magnet pointed in the wrong direction. Because if we are a magnet pointed in the wrong direction, what do we do? We push away. We don't pull toward. So thus you see that the quote magnet unquote of Israel got pointed in the wrong direction during the time that led up to the exiles to the point that instead of pulling people toward Israel, what was Israel doing among the nations? Pushing away. We call that blasphemy or bringing the reputation of God, God's name, down among the nations. Yes? That metaphor, it requires both people to be in the wrong direction. <laughs> yes. Interesting. They don't want to know, so you're not going to tell them. <laughs> yep. Interesting, interesting metaphor. Magnets are fun. Magnets are fun. I was, I, I just remember the the the, the great thing. I, I hope you got a chance to see this in your science class, where they put the little metal filings down to the paper with a magnet on it, and then you get to see all the magnetic field lines going between the poles. It's, it's like wow, because you don't see anything yet. The metal filings quote see what is not seen there it's yeah (laughs) yes uh definitely uh, gyroscopes yes yeah it's uh, quite quite amazing how you can you can think of things that would offset other things just by their their being in motion you know it's it's amazing when you see those uh have you ever seen videos of the surface of the sun yeah, and you see those kind of like little loop-de-loop things? It's the same thing going on with like the magnet. Because, you know, all that plasma inside the, the, um, inside the sun boiling like a pot. So it's got these magnetic field lines. And that, those little <laughs> bits of the sun going up and following the magnetic field lines and going back down in. Let's say... Yeah, I mean, you have the, the charged particles coming in and hitting our magnetic field lines around the Earth and then, you know, hitting it kind of like, like when you look at a rock in a river and you see the water just kind of pours around it and goes out the other side. That's like what our fantastic creator created around this planet because of all the stuff that comes out of the sun, stuff that we need to survive but a lot of bad stuff that we don't need to survive and will keep us from surviving. <laughs> Thankfully, he created a literal force field. This is not science fiction. This is, uh, this is definitely science fact around our planet 
to keep the bad stuff, not only from the sun, but also from other stars and other things that throw lots of bad radiation at us from all over Hillendale, toward us to keep us from having lots of problems. Kind of like one of the big problems you've probably heard about people heading off to Mars and wanting to go to Mars. One of the big problems with heading to Mars or even the moon is you've got to leave that force field. You've got to leave, <laughs> you've got to leave that protective force field around the planet that God has created and go and you're on your own. Now, it's very interesting that it's an interesting kind of illustration of what is one of the most perplexing things that you see in the Bible and scares a lot of people when you get down to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27. It says, you know, you reject this. There is no more sacrifice for you. So a lot of people get this idea that, oh, there's, wow, I can just be, have the, the Savior just yanked out from underneath me. But in a sense, that's like you taking a trip to Mars. Because if you decide, hey, I don't want to stay here in the, with this protective force field around me, I want to go somewhere else. Well, just know that once you leave the Earth's magnetosphere, where this big force field is, you're on your own. And Mars, it doesn't have one. So when you get there, it's not going to protect you. But the Lord has protected a place here. So in the same way, you know, that's a good sort of call of the Homero. Here you go. Here's your uh, big 50-cent word for the day. Uh, call of the Homero is a, is a Hebrew uh, phrase that means light and heavy. And it's a rabbinical argumentation technique that you see in the Bible a lot. Apostle Paul uses it a whole lot, and you'll see it in Hebrews a lot. And that it's usually used in the, in the construction, well, if this is the case, then how much more is this? So you see in a little illustration that if the protection of being here on earth is great, well then, how much more is something that can protect you even more from something that is even worse? So. Boy, I think we got really spaced out with that discussion. <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. Bring it back down to earth. That's right. And also in this passage, it talks about uh, passage here being in Revelation chapter 15 about righteous and true are your ways. Yeshua said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you may think, oh, that's just kind of a sim- simple little statement. What did we just read here in Deuteronomy 32? This is your life. Stay in the ways of the Lord. Keep going with every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, because this is your life. We saw in our, our last Torah reading, you know, choose life. Choose the way that leads to life, not the way that just goes off into dissipation and doesn't go anywhere. With that, we'll be heading on over into the passage that we'll be looking at for the rest of our time here today, and that's the the Haftarat of Ha'azinu, or the parallel passage for what we're looking at today. So, in Second Samuel chapter twenty 
22. Yes, 2 Samuel chapter 22. So hopefully you have little margin references in there and they'll probably say, hey, look at Psalm 18. And that's right, because it's almost verbatim over there with one interesting little thing that's different right at the beginning of it. But Psalm, Second uh, Samuel 22. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and the hand of Shaul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God, and from his temple he heard my voice. And my cry for help came to his ears. The earth shook and quaked, and the foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet and he rode on a cherub and flew and he appeared on the wings of the wind he made darkness canopies around him mass of waters thick clouds of the sky from the brightness before him coals of fire were kindled the lord thundered from heaven the most high uttered his voice and he sent out arrows and scattered them lightning and routed them then the channels of the sea appeared The foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord. At the blast of the breath of his nostrils, he sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy. For those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. He confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless toward him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the, my cleanness before his eyes. With the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the perverted, you show yourself astute. You have saved and afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you abase. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop, but my God I can, by my God I can leap over a wall. As for my God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Who is, for who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock besides our God? 
God is my strong fortress, and he sets the blameless in his way. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me in and sets me on my high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your help makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me, and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. And I have devoured them and scattered them so that they did not rise, and they fell under my feet. For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued me under me, those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I pulverized them as the dust of the earth. I crushed and stamped them as the mire of the streets. You have also delivered me from the contentions of my people. You have kept me as head of the nations, a people whom I have, I have not known serve me. Foreigners pretend obedience to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and brings down peoples under me, who also brings me out from my enemies. You even lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. He is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Amen. Yes, very beautiful. Now, one of the the interesting things, uh, the key differences, if you just kind of take a little quick look over into Psalm 18, what is one of the key differences you see? Yes, yeah, Psalm 18. I'll give you a big hint. It's in the first verse. Yes, I love you, my Lord, with my strength. That's something that is, you could say, sums up of what we just read, but not what you see over here in 2 Samuel 22. So thus you see kind of the interesting reflection of what this all is about. You know, I love you, O Lord, my strength which sums up a lot of what we read there in Deuteronomy 32. It's like, okay, Israel, why can't you see that the Lord is your strength? The Lord took you out of the house of bondage with what? A weak and wimpy hand? No, with a strong arm. And kind of took you up kind of like a, you know, maybe on the back of a chicken running along the ground. No, talking about riding like an eagle, which is high, high above everything else. So you should see that what the Lord did with Israel taking out of the house of bondage is something that was done with great power, with great speed, with great, you could say, surety that you are going to a destination that's the you could say, would be sure that you would get there. 
But do you actually trust the one who is taking you there? Do you have faith in the one who took you out of the house of bondage? Do you have faith in the one who took you through the sea? Or do you have faith in the one who brings water from the rock? Do you have faith in the one who brings the food down from the sky? Do you have faith in the one who brings the pigeons in from the sea? And it sounds redundant, but you have to keep driving this home that there is as much faith going on with the Exodus and the journey to the land as you see talked about in the apostolic writings. Faith, 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 faith. Faith in Yeshua T, my deliverer, my salvation, the one who delivers. That faith was just as much a big thing then as it is now. Do we trust the one who took us out of our house of bondage, took us out away from the forces that are pursuing us? So, one of the key things to, to take a look at this is it mentions there at the beginning of Second um, Samuel 22, it mentions that this is after the Lord had basically brought down the enemies of David and brought him through these, these struggles. Now, of course, the struggles go over quite a bit of history in, in David's life, but just the previous chapter kind of gives you a good little cap off of some of the things that David faced. You know, the beginning part of chapter 21 talks about the resolution of this three-year drought that was going on and coming to a sobering a sobering um, realization that the legacy of Shaul and the legacy of Shaul in being separate from or not really wanting to cleave to the counsels of the Lord and listen to the Lord, that that legacy went on into other generations and also affected uh, Shaul in his approach to wanting to get rid of get rid of a, another a group of people that was a, an ally to Israel. You could say those were some of the, the foreigners who wanted to join in and be a part of, of at least where Israel was going. And then you also see in the chapter talks about David and his mighty men's victories over these giants of Philistia and going back to... Uh, Goliath's family and some of the other giants that were were there in in the land. And you think of when they talk about these these giants, and they mentioned in here the the six toed and six fingered <laughs> six toed six fingered man. So you're talking about okay, well these are these are genetic anomalies also that are going on here. But you know you think of some very large people and how imposing they can be remember we talked a, a few uh, Torah sections back about be careful about being impressed by people who look impressive listen to their words watch their actions and not just be impressed by someone who's tall someone who's powerful because they might be leading you off in a different direction so you see that these giants, these giants champions there of Philistia, 
were there and being leaders of people. And you see the time when David came up, the, they were even making the armies of Israel cower in front of them. And what was David's response to this? Well, who's actually your leader? Are you yourself fighting against these big men here? No. Someone who's far bigger than any of these giants, no matter how tall they are. That is the one who's actually fighting for you. So that's kind of a key thing to see in this history of uh, what was going on at this particular point in time. One of the other things that you probably have noticed here in this particular passage is that it sure sounds like, especially in, the, in verses uh, basically 21 through 25, where it talks about, you know, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands. And you might think, oh, wait a minute. Wasn't this the same guy with the, like, the Bathsheba? Bathsheba? Wasn't that the same guy? And he's talking about the cleanness of his hands? Well, yeah. Then you could see that later on in his life, see, this is after he brought the victory over his enemies. So it's kind of like the, the, as his reign as king is really starting to roll along. So that man with after God's own heart was rolling along into his reign as king in that way. Yet, yes, he went astray. You could say kind of forgetting, forgetting the, the lead of who brought him that far. Yes, Larry. I, I, I think we talked about that. The, um, the rabbis made excuses for all that and said he didn't sin at all. Right. Yes. Except that uh, we have the Psalm 51 and 32, yeah, that are all about, I screwed up. I screwed up, and this is the way back, which is why Psalm 51 is one of those great pictures. You know, people say, well, there's no talk about repentance and having a, a, a personal change there written in the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible. Uh, yeah, it's right there in Psalm 51. You know, it's always a good, good reminder. Just a quick look at Psalm 51 here. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Yeah. So you can see right there at the start, this is all about someone who has got nothing to repent for. No. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you may be justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, in your guts. But that truth inside you where the center of you comes from and in the hidden parts you will make me know wisdom purify me with hyssop and i shall be clean wash me and i shall be whiter than snow make me to hear joy and gladness 
Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted, converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness, O Lord. Open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. So, key things you see. Yes, uh, Tammy. You know, I think uh, Larry makes a really good point when he talks about how, you know, the rabbis, they try to make excuses for David. Fortunately, David didn't make any excuses for himself nope. whatsoever. So, going back a little bit, I think looking at this just position, we have to be careful when people that maybe we otherwise respect, that we think are holier than us or better than us, try to excuse our sin because they're not helping us. They're not doing us any favors. And so if God, if David had listened to people like these rabbis, that it would have maybe given him justifications for his sin, we maybe wouldn't have had Psalm 51. He wouldn't have had that repentance, and they certainly wouldn't have done him any favors or us any favors either that are reading about this now. Yeah, you've got the you've got the great loaded term that they call what enabling. So you basically people who will keep enabling people to move on in their whatever their proclivity is or their downfall. Larry, do you have a comment there? Yeah, actually also in also in um first uh first Kings fifteen verse five Right in the scripture says, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. sound like he was blameless in that. Yeah, definitely there was, a, there was a big exception in that one. And it's very interesting how you, when you look at that whole account, that there was basically the pulling of a thread, and that thread kept pulling and pulling and pulling until you had this big hole that ended up, it opened up there because you had this desire. And this desire, you could say, mastered David for a point in time until, you know, he got the big wake-up call from a prophet. Uh, yes, yeah, so first here. Yeah, in that same topic, <clears throat> when David did all that, God's response, however, was very gracious, kind, and merciful. Because uh, the correct response would obviously have been the stoning of both David and Bathsheba. Right. That's the correct response. Um, but that's not how God responded. So he spared both David and Bathsheba. Yes, they lost their son. But he, he, he did a lot of things that all of them result in his personal death and would have been justified. But God showed grace and mercy upon him. Someone argue undeservedly because he didn't do anything to fix it. 
He right. didn't say, oh, well, here's all the, the offerings. We say the Torah says this. So there's nothing to offer. You can't offer anything for it. So he couldn't fix it. He couldn't offer an offering to fix it. There's nothing you can do to fix that. You can't say, well, I killed, killed some guy. So I'm going to go, here's, here's, a, here's, here's a goat. It's worked that way. <laughs> <laughs> or I just took his wife and, yeah, well, uh, here, here's, here's some sheep. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> So there's no way of fixing it, but instead of God putting the law of Moses on him, he just said, well, I'm giving him grace and mercy and giving, he still has a, a, a payment that's still required, but nothing that was, would be enough to, to, to correct the problem. That, that, nothing that he went through corrected the problem. Yeah. Anne, you had a comment? Yeah, uh, Daniel really summed it up. It's just that that verse now, Larry, was First Kings verse what? I mean, First Kings, what chapter? Say the chapter again? 15? All right, yeah, because that verse sounds like, if you say it, it sounds like God is only concerned, the Lord was only concerned about the murder, and so his unrighteousness was the murder. But Yeah, it's, it, was, it was basically what, what pulled the thread. Right. There was like one thread led to another thread led to another thread. Right, but maybe... Maybe in the Tanakh or not the um, Talmud or what you said that the Jewish uh, people, a lot of the Jewish people, believe that the murder was the was the thing that that was the worst of David's situation, or that you no, know, it was, that just, it was really kind of a convoluted way around to say that you know it was, it it's was okay. not it's okay. it was he was not really responsible. It wasn't in it globally was a, as as bad. Uh-huh. As as it brings out, but it was the woman that he you gave me, Lord. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it was yeah, but, that woman. <laughs> but like, yeah, the passage we just read here in Psalm fifty-one is pointing out here that yeah, yes, so it was really, really, really bad. But you know, a couple of things to to note in this particular passage in Psalm fifty-one, like there in verse ten. What does that sound like? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Uh, sounds like the new covenant promise, Jeremiah 31, that this would be given a new heart and a new spirit put within you. So yes, this new covenant promise is always been a key part of repentance, coming back to God. And something this also brings out, the last part from, um, yeah, basically verse... 14 on through the end of, of the chapter, really also gives you a preview of what you see in passages like Isaiah chapter 1, where you see that the Lord says to Israel, I hate your festivals. I hate them. Well, why? What you see right here at the end in part is that it says, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And you see that it goes on, and it says, By your favor do good to Zion and build the walls of Yerushalayim. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices. So what then is needed for the delighting in the offerings? Yes, the broken and contrite heart is what's needed for these things to be wanted, acceptable. So that's one of the key lessons that you see in the prophets, especially in the prophet Isaiah, is that 
there is a key sickness that's happening in the heart of the people. And it needs to be seen of what is rooted deep on the inside. And when that is rooted out on the inside, then you see that all of the things that the Lord, Lord commands, all of his appointments, his festivals, etc., the offerings have meaning. Because just like what we were talking about when we were going through the book of Leviticus, this was built the pattern of what was shown Moshe on the mountain. So what is the part of the korban? What is the part of that, the thing that approaches? It's all teaching you about how you approach, how you approach the presence of God. And just as what David here is talking about, what needs to happen as you come closer to God, as you return closer to God, there has to be a change on the inside of you. Because otherwise, it's just a show. Yes. In that verse, that, that, that you're, it it's, it's reiterates what you're pointing out. The verse 18 says, Do good in your heart, do good in thy good uh, pleasure to Zion and build. And the walls, Jerusalem, then you'll be pleased. So the point is that, so his first part of the psalm is obviously individual basis, my own personal failures. But if you're building Zion, that's a community. So the community is building. So once the individual and the people have their personal issues addressed, then they become a community. When the community exists, that's the, we call it building Zion or building the walls of Jerusalem. That's, that's the same principle. That's when he says, then you'll be pleased with the sacrifice and offerings and good things because now it's a communal thing as opposed to individual basis. But it requires individuals to get to the community. So, so he, then he's pointing that out. What does this then suggest? If you have a rot in society, what is the cure? Cut it out. Individual change. Individual change bubbles up through the community. You know, so you're sick of the way this is being run or that being run. Well, look at what's going on in the hearts of the people. Because then you can start seeing where some of the source of these problems come from. You know, are leaders lawless well what's happening in the hearts of the people that elect the people that bring the next generation of leaders out it all starts with the people and the individuals building out to their families and that legacy of the people of god from one generation to the next so from that uh let's get on to what larry was talking about before so over in Second uh, Samuel, going back there, Second Samuel, chapter twenty-two, starting verse twenty-six through forty-six, and it's a section where it's talking about well, what is God like? And in a particular section there, in verses twenty-six, twenty-seven. It says here, with the kind, you will show yourself kind. With the blameless, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the perverted, you will show yourself astute. Okay, this is the New American Standard Bible's rendition of this. One of the, the challenges of this, this, this passage is that, you know, you have basically like uh, three, like a noun and two verbs that are almost related to each other, and one of which is what you call this reflexive, which is why this particular thing is show yourself blameless. So 
that being somewhat um, challenging to look at. So look at first here. What you see is you have a, a situation where this is showing an eye for an eye, or this is what it looks like. And it is, in a sense, eye for an eye, or what we've talked about when we're going through the particular Torah passages, this lex talionis, or the law of um, retribution, or the things come up back upon yourself. Or as we say in uh, the passage there, the second greatest commandment from Leviticus 19.18, you know, do unto others as you would want them to have do unto you, which the one thing that uh, Yeshua brought forward when someone asked him about the two greatest commandments. Now, with these, you can almost restate them. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, before I rattle James on. James says the same thing. It's exactly it, it, right. James just does it in a condensed yep. version. Yes. So he's re-quoting, not re-quoting, he's re-wording the same principle here in Second Samuel. He's, mm-hmm. he's reiterating that nothing's changed. This problem is still an issue. You have no mercy, you show no mercy, you'll get none. Right. So, what you're seeing here, uh, what uh, Larry was talking about earlier, um, like you, you take that first part where it says here, with the kind, you will show yourself kind. Well, that kind, it's chasid. So are you, and remember that chesed, you know, we call it loving kindness, but really, strictly speaking, it's like loyalty. That's really the root part of, of it. It is loyalty to be loyal to you uh, through thick and thin. So in this, that are you a chassid? Are you loyal? Well, then heaven will be loyal to you. That's kind of what that aspect is. And then the next one where it talks about, uh, and with the blameless, to show yourself blameless. So that's tamim. You might hear that. Uh, it's called, like, often translated in King James, perfect. But really, it just means uh, it is something that is complete, lacking nothing. We call that character. So, um, and then it uses Gabor with it. So, are you a mighty person of character? Well, are you a mighty person of character? Then heaven will act with utmost integrity to you. And then with that, with that particular point of that, um, if you are not a mighty person with character, well, then seek wisdom. And that wisdom specifically is not just you know, filling your head with, with stuff, but it is knowledge, it is building of yourself that actually goes somewhere, which, keep your finger there in Second Samuel, because now we're going to head back over to what we mentioned earlier with James. So the apostle Yaakov riffs on this, uh, riffs on this particular idea Greatly. In chapter 1. So, you notice there in the intro, he's saying that these are the 12 tribes who are dispersed to the diaspora. So, these are, as Paul would put it, these are people who know the law, or at least have heard it. So they at least heard it, and as you go on through the rest of his letter, you will definitely see that these are people who should know the law, know what the law is really all about. So con- starting with verse 2 and moving on, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. 
Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like a surf is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought to not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then it goes on to talk about what this person of character is like through pretty much the whole rest of the, the letter. But the key part of this is that, well, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. So we talked about earlier the fear of the Lord, noticing and really taking it to heart that the Lord sees what we're doing, sees what's going on. The Lord is not um, ignorant of who we actually are. So that's a starting point of, okay, well, now that you know this, now that you actually believe this and really live your life like it, well, then what direction are you going to go in? Do you want to know the Lord better? And then from that knowing the Lord, move that on into wisdom. And the apostle here is talking about this pathway, this pathway of going from just knowledge of, okay, God sees what you're doing to actually becoming, as it mentions, perfect, which is tamim, becoming complete, not lacking anything. So a person that is tamim can actually be in shalom, be in this contented, well-rounded, not lacking anything place. So we've seen this throughout history. We see this exemplified like in the life of Yeshua, where in the midst of the storm, he is in shalom in the boat because he knows that this storm is no big deal for the power of God. The power of God can just, boop, as he, he calls on it, and the sea just goes calm instantly. So that is and what we've seen in the great people of faith, both in the times of the Bible and in modern times, where they are at peace. They are at shalom, no matter what is going on around them. No matter if some terrorists are dragging them out to their final hour, or if they're being at peace in some prison where people are saying, hey, either stop what you're doing or you'll sit and rot here, and they decide to say, no, I will sit here and I will not be bitter about it, but actually, hey, pull people in, even the jailers who beat me and, and literally turn the screws to you to say, hey, you don't have to go this way anymore. So we have their testimony too. Well, how do you get to this particular place? And it says, consider it all joy. When you encounter these trials, these kinds of things that happen to you, knowing that the testing of your faith, your trust, your trust in the Lord, the trust in your rock. It's kind of interesting how in Second Samuel 22, it starts out talking about the crag, basically this mountain peak, and then the rock. So you may think, well, rock, okay, well, it could be 
moved or something like that. But this crag gives you the picture of, no, this is connected to a mountain. <laughs> so it is not something that just can be easily moved. So the testing of your faith produces endurance. So we see that both in times past and in the present, that people have endured long periods of time. You might have gone through something in your own family, and you're asking, well, why is this going on? Why is this happening? I can't endure it. it just make it stop. But do you actually see the purpose in what is happening and actually pushing on through it? Or do you just do anything to make it stop? And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect, that tamim, complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives, gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. So one of the things that you know, sometimes people will think, well, this is just general wisdom. I need to know something. This is wisdom in context of trial. You need to know why is this happening? And say, okay, what can I learn? How can I grow closer? How can my character improve in going through it, enduring through it, out the other side? And through that learning about it, you actually grow closer to the Lord. You cleave more closely to what the Lord is saying. So, some of the things that we can see here are fear the Lord, know the Lord, and also seek heaven's testing, <laughs> which is, you know, when David also was talking in another psalm about, you know, hey, test me, find out everything about me, and then lead me on the ways of everlasting. That's, that thing saying, hey, test me, Lord, <laughs> that can be quite the ask. So moving on back here to uh, 2 Samuel 22 again, and continuing on the passage of, it says in verse 27, with the pure you show yourself pure. Now this is, <laughs> it really can be quite confusing with this uh, reflexive Hebrew verb here, because it, it's that barar is talking about to purge or to purify. So, are you purged, are you purified of wrongdoing? Okay, then the Holy One will purify and purge you of evil. So, that's, it's really kind of interesting because when you look at it, you're like, it would seem on the surface to be saying that the Lord would purify himself. But actually, what it's talking about is, well, are you purifying, purging yourself? If so, the Lord will bring that to completion, just like with the apostles saying, he will make you complete in this. If you want to get rid of the junk in your life, the Lord will bring that junk out to the surface and get rid of it. And then lastly, it mentions there, and with the perverted, you show yourself astute. This is also quite strange when you, when you, when you see this reflexive Hebrew verb here of, um, well, are you crooked or perverted or ikek, ikesh? Well, then basically, 
one way to say is you could get ready for heaven's ultimate smackdown because that verb patal is used with um, Leah wrestling with her sister, struggling with her sister. And it's also, the other place where it's used is in the passage that we just read in Deuteronomy 32 about this crooked generation. Because it mentions here, okay, the pure, the upright, the yeshrun, and then the crooked generation. Well, if you, like we, were, we saw earlier with that uh, chiasm of the, the passage, if you don't want to retain in your knowledge and the way you live that the Lord is wanting to bring you out of the land of bondage, to um, bring you out to not forget you, and you decide to forget the Lord, and then go after perversion, things that are headed in completely the different direction of where heaven wants to take the world, well then, look out. You're going to get the most amazing wrestling partner you've ever seen. So you're going to get body slammed so hard, which is where the section that we see there in Deuteronomy 32, the middle part of the ugly stuff that goes on, is the heavenly body slam. It's the ultimate smackdown. It's coming in hard. And not just to make you suffer. This is, number one, to make you refined. To refine us, to be people of character. To be people that are dependable, that are loyal, no matter what things happen. But also for the grander scheme of what is happening in the whole world. The whole world needs the rock. The whole world needs this rock to depend upon. This, the systems of this world are teaching people to build their house on sand, using Yeshua's parable. Israel is supposed to be teaching people to build on the tzur, build on that rock, that foundation, that does not move, that isn't washed away, that is truly dependable no matter what. So that is Israel's purpose. So the commonwealth of Israel, everyone who's grafted into this tree that the Lord has planted, that's what the tree is about and what the fruit for all the nations for, as it says, the leaves for the healing of all the nations. That is really the fruit of it. So that's where we'll leave things off here today. Any last thoughts as we close out? Alrighty. Oh, uh, yes, Larry. So I don't. I don't. <coughs> excuse me. I don't know if I caught what when you were going to explain that statement of "If you forget me, I will forget your children." Yes. So it's the same reflexive kind of of uh, phrase that's used there. So you want to forget. This is the, the point of actually actively not remembering and then not remembering. Remember, we were talking about, especially in, in Deuteronomy 32, what is the result of a generation not remembering the Lord? Yeah, no generation beyond there is going to know the Lord. So, thus, you don't want to retain the knowledge and what the blessings for the whole world of the Lord is then what? You're going to expect that the Lord is going to bless the next generations? Because the whole point of the blessing upon Israel 
came through Abraham was to do what? Messiah told about it. To what? Build children of Abraham. To build people who have the same kind of trust in the creator of heaven and earth that Abraham did. So that's says why that's why he was credited with righteousness. That's what his righteousness in that generation and that we as his descendants through the same faith that he has, that's the point of Israel is to build up children like that. Well, if one generation says, ah, we don't want to do that anymore. We're, we're, forget it. We're, we're, we're done with that. Well, then what is the whole point of the blessing upon Avraham for? What is any other generation going to get? What is the whole world going to get out of those other generations? Nothing. They're going to be just like everybody else. Obviously, he doesn't really forget anybody. Yes, it's basically the point of... You just don't get the blessings. If you don't want to have the legacy of God and the knowledge of God and the mission of God in the world, well then, you're just not going to be a part of that. Basically, the Lord then has to move on to somebody else. So that's why with the exiles, you had this remnant that would be brought back. The remnants are the people who are brought back. They're basically replanted back into the land. He does say always have a remnant. Yes, always, always have a remnant. But one of the key things that you learn in the, in the prophets is what is this remnant? And that's the same thing of the message that Yeshua was bringing to talking about the lost tribes. What is that message? The message is the remnant. And then you see in Revelation, what is the, one of the last messages of the day of the Lord? Come out of her, my people, remnant, get out. And the part, part of the thing is like, whoo, I, sa- I, got, I got saved from the flames, goody me. No. The point is to be a witness to those around, and that's another prophecy of the day of the Lord, that everyone will see, hey, they'll grab onto the fringes of one Jew, and ten people grab on. Like, hey, we've heard that God's with you. That is the point of the remnant, is to be that magnet for the kingdom of God, to attract people in, to say, this is our last hope. This is the true hope that actually goes somewhere. Is one of the things of the day of the Lord is it's going to be the disassembling of all of the, you could say, false futures, fake futures that don't really ever go anywhere. All those things will be wiped away. And the only thing left is the thing that actually survives. Thus, you have that lesson of, okay, well, do you want to go up to the house of the Lord, as it's prophesied there in Zechariah 14? Do you want to go up there or not? So, it's one of the the great sobering things of the day of the Lord, but also one of the hopeful things is that this people who come out, come out of Babylon, so to speak, 
they will attract other people. So, does that does that help at all with that uh, in the this idea of uh, why the the lex talionis this uh, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you kind of this active forgetting can lead to saying okay well that the the blessing of God is not a lucky charm you just kind of put up on on your doorpost or on your keychain and and you just kind of know the the special handshake or use your special fob on the on the card reader to get in into the pearly gate so to speak this is a legacy that changes you from the inside what we read there in psalm 51 that's the kind of change that's actually going somewhere i'm um, sorry and did you have a comment or yeah um there's always that hopeful thing that happens like with ahab and was it jezebel that josiah was their son or i don't know if jezebel mm. was the mother of ahab or not but you know you life uh, yes wife and what did i say yes i got my wife. my genealogist over here yes yeah, so, so jezebel was the wife of ahab is that right yes and then Je josiah was their son is that not right remember what the what the oh. what the relation is well there was Sometimes there was foggy one, on that. one terrible king that you know i'm sure he didn't teach his children but maybe a nursemaid or someone you know taught josiah and josiah came to be a good king you know i think his parents were yeah it is yeah the, you, you, yeah she, she, she has a good around. point that there are the two different kingdoms the northern kingdom and the southern oh, kingdom okay so but you, you do bring up a very interesting point that, that there they, is a roller coaster of the, of the of the kings there's mostly on the like you see the downhill slide up on the northern side but the southern kingdom also was going up and down and up and down so that the challenge of the legacy from one generation to the next and that being transferred on to the next generation. Oh, 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 hold on here. Uh, yeah. Oh, what was that? Sorry. Important to know that grandparents have a say in things. Have a huge <laughs> say in things. <laughs> or aunties or uncles or Yeah, whatever, you, you, know? you, you bring up a very interesting point, and that's a sad thing that has been lost in modern Western society, is that thing of sidelining the... Uh, elders of society and taking elderly as being some sort of pejorative or bad word i mean other societies elder is a is a is a good word they are the wise people you know that point. Hmm? not many people get there yes not as she said not many people get to that point of being the wise is that your point because you don't not everyone gets old oh yeah not not everyone gets old but going back maybe to the original point is, is that in the northern kingdom, they had several dynasties. Yes. Whereas in the southern tribes, they had one dynasty. Now, it went up and down, up and down, but it was still one dynasty. It was the Davidic dynasty. They yes. had one dynasty. Where in the northern tribes, there were several different dynasties. You know, first there's Jeroboam's, and then that one God had to <laughs> throw away. Then Omri, which is Ahab's dynasty, then that one got thrown away, and I can, there were others. So. That's what happens when you forget God and your children don't even want to remember you. Mm. And, and they get 
wiped away and God puts in a new dynasty or whatever, and then maybe a few generations, they didn't want to remember anything either, and God wiped them away. Mm. Yeah, which kind of goes to what uh, Larry was talking about. If you don't want to remember the Lord, the Lord won't remember that generation or the generations that follow. It's a good point. Any other? Uh, uh, yes, Larry. Another thing that goes on with this with the remnant thing that maybe it's just my thought about it, but it always says, well, it's going to be a remnant, so it's okay. But the people who were disobedient, they're gone. I mean, the remnant is somebody else. It's not, yes. you're not going to, it's not, you're going to get recovered if, right. you, if you don't, if, if you're not, not the remnant, it's that somebody else. It may be a, a descendant of yours, but it's not you. Yeah. And that's, that, that's a pretty sobering point. We, we were uh, talking about that in our last session um, on Yom Kippur about, you know, the fact that you might have a generation that has some great people like, you know, Noah and Daniel and, uh, uh, who's the other one? Job, yes. They might come and, and be great preachers to the generation. But if you have the rot on the inside, only they themselves will make it out the other side. It's like the, it's not just, you know, basically righteousness by association. We just happen to hang around with these, with these people that are headed in the right direction. We just kind of, it's like, uh, you know, kind of schlocking your way into a, a venue. You're just going to hang out with people who have tickets and hope that the people at the door don't notice that you're going in too. No, <laughs> the Lord actually, like it says, the, the fear of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord actually know what's going on and into the hearts of people. So just hanging around righteous people, it's, uh, that's not an actual change that brings a change of character. Is, um, yeah, that, that whole thing of, uh, we were talking in sessions earlier about spiritual entropy, or basically that you can go from a place of close connection to God, and if you don't do anything about it, the pull of the world around will just be a gradual slide down downhill away from it so thus if you don't do anything about it from one generation to the next it'll just slide down to where people just don't know anything about god anymore so any last thoughts okay we'll close things out with prayer here father god we thank you for giving us the words of hope and the words of warning from all your servants through such a long period of time and father we we ask that you continue to change our hearts. We thank you for covering over our sins, transgressions, and iniquities with the blood of your Son, Yeshua. And Father, we thank you for giving us mercy through him. And Father, we just ask that you guide us in being your lights in the darkness around us. We thank you for these things. In the name of Yeshua, amen. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at Hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel